Welcome to the Landscape Ontario podcast. Today we're featuring the audio from the June 23rd, 2020 Town Hall webinar from ELO's COVID-19 Task Force. This week, they were joined by Judith Andrews, the Commissioner for Employers at Employment and Social Development Canada, as well as Julie Gardner, uh, Principal at Ernst Cliff Strategy Group, to discuss government programs, including the CERB, Hughes, and much more. Thanks for listening. The Landscape Ontario podcast is sponsored by Dynascape Software. Hello members save 15% on Dynascape products, software upgrades, and online training. Visit dynascape.com for details. Okay, it looks like we are on. Hello and welcome to Landscape Ontario's Town Hall. Brought to you and organized by the Landscape Ontario COVID-19 Task Force. Today's town hall is being recorded. The recording will be sent out so that you may review it uh, as your own unique schedule allows. Please ask lots of questions. There is a chat function to the right-hand side of the screen. Uh, so please ask your questions there. I'll be monitoring the chat so that uh, we'll be able to get to as many questions that you have, and we'll do our best to get to as many as possible. Our federal government has announced emergency relief measures for individuals and businesses. Following the announcements, there have been extensions and amendments. Navigating the details and the nuances of these programs definitely takes some focused time and effort, especially being able to digest and summarize in a way that the people that uh, work for you may understand and actually apply. Uh, given where many Landscape Ontario member businesses are at in their season, that time is a precious resource. The LO COVID-19 task force felt strongly that we make the topic of our next town hall um, webinar exactly that and talk about the details of those programs. Uh, and here we are today. My name is Joe Salemi, and I am Landscape Ontario's Deputy Executive Director. On our panel today, joining me, Alan White of Turf Systems, our Task Force Chair. Dave Wright of Wright Landscaping, our Landscape Ontario President. Good evening, everyone. Jeff Olson of BTN Nurseries, on Landscape Ontario's Board of Directors and our Task Force. We also have very special guests with us today, Judith Andrew. Uh, Commissioner of Employers at the Canada Employment Insurance Commission, and Julie Garner, Principal at Ernst Cliff Strategy Group. Thank you all so much for joining us today. I know that um, Julie was having a little bit of technical issues. Julie, Judith, are you still there with us today? I'm here. Can you hear me? We can. So we'll kick it off over to you. Um, why don't you start... Um, tell us about uh, your role and um, help us key in on some of these programs that we're anxious to hear about. Okay, well, great. Thank you very much for the kind introduction. And it's really a pleasure to be with you here at Landscape Ontario's Town Hall this afternoon. Um, when your kind invitation arrived, it reminded me of the last time I joined in on one of your events, your fabulous conference and trade show at the Toronto Convention Centre. So I know these things uh, are happening remotely these days, but I have to say how happy I was to hear that your industry was among the first to get the go ahead to reopen and, and to continue to do your wonderful work. 
As uh, was mentioned, my current role is as Commissioner Employers at the Canada Employment Insurance Commission. Uh, the CEIC was created exactly 80 years ago this summer, courtesy of a constitutional amendment that allowed the provinces to cede their natural authority over labour market matters to the federal government. This happened in the wake of the Great Depression of the 1930s, when the idea was to create a national unemployment insurance system. Fast forward to today, and some people and some think tanks are saying that the economic retraction caused by the current pandemic has shown that the EI system doesn't work, that instead Canada needs a universal basic income scheme. Of course, this isn't actually fair to say, since no one had a system ready to receive millions of unemployed people, given that just a few short months ago, the burning issue was a shortage of qualified labor. So the present um, CEIC is a tripartite uh, departmental corporation of the Employment and Social Development Canada. And uh, it has representation from the sitting government in the person of the uh, Deputy Minister of ESDC, who is also the chair of the commission. And then there's a commissioner on the labor side and the um, commissioner for employers, that's me. Uh, the CEIC holds responsibility for the oversight of employment insurance and related files, such as labor market information and labor market development. Job Bank and the social insurance register actually fall under our wing and commissioners make regulations under the Employment Insurance Act. We make agreements with provinces and territories worth over $2 billion to do labor market development. And we monitor and assess the performance of employment insurance through research and by preparing an annual report to parliament. And also among our official duties, we annually set EI rates. That's normally something that happens over the summer and you you hear the good news uh, or the bad news depending on your perspective uh, in the middle of September we set the maximum insurable earnings and the premium reductions for firms having a short-term disability plan that actually takes a load off of EI sickness so the commissioner employers role is to represent employers in the EI system for which employers actually finance the lion's share seven twelfths Employees pay the remainder five twelfths and government pays zero into this uh, usually $22 billion system. In doing this work, I'm fortunate to have the input and gui guidance from your industry. Landscape Ontario and your mothership CNLA are valued members of my office's business liaison group. Uh, I often speak of uh, your industry as doing everything right. You've learned how to elongate your season. You use sub plans to help top up employees uh, EI benefits and, and keep them uh, uh, connected to your companies. Uh, in your frozen months, uh, especially you undertake professional training and it was your industry that obtained the last red seal trade uh, a Red Seal Apprenticeable Trade. So you've done an awful lot uh, to vault the reputation of your industry, a seasonal industry that, that uses EI properly and effectively. During the present COVID-19 urgency, uh, my office has been in regu regular communication with employers through their associations, conveying information and taking note of business questions and issues regarding the relief programs 
particularly the ones in our purview, such as the CERB, the Can which is the Canada Emergency Response Benefit, and EI work sharing. The COVID emergency legislation gave Employment Minister Carla Qualtro superpowers to modify EI in the, in the pandemic emergency. The modifications have been accomplished through a series of interim orders, uh, and these interim orders are uh, consulted with commissioners, although we do not sign off as we normally do for regulations under the Employment Insurance Act. At the outset, it was recognized that uh, employment insurance is actually quite a complicated program. Uh, there are a lot of very fiddly rules in it, and it's founded on an old technology platform that frankly simply couldn't withstand the unemployment and millions of unemployed people that was caused by governments shutting everything but essential businesses down. So EI was effectively paused uh, but people who had built up EI entitlements, those have been held safe for after the CERB ends. CERB was exactly the kind of lifeboat needed for the pandemic emergency. It's a simple money program, $2,000 per four week period, all based on an attestation. It got money out the door quickly when it was needed. The trick will be to ensure that the CERB lifeboat does not actually become a houseboat that we seg segue off CERB and back to EI, how and when appropriate. This is an area where I'm offering advice from the business side, so your in input is welcome on that. I'm told that CERB creates disincentives to work, making it hard for firms to ramp back up to normal. There's also the problem that CERB top-ups are not allowed, unlike EI subplans. And there are no tools in, in, um, in CERB like uh, working while on claim and so forth. So it, 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 is, a, it is a simple money program uh, without tools and actually without much in the way of integrity in terms of making sure that uh, eligible people get, get, get the benefits. And of course, we've just had an announcement of a further eight weeks of CERB, making it a full 24 weeks available in the window through to October. Uh, just turn for a moment to EI work sharing. Uh, right away when the pandemic hit, there was uh, swift action to uh, modify EI work sharing with special measures. It used to take 30 days to turn around an EI work sharing application that was reduced by two thirds to roughly on average 10 days. Uh, EI I work sharing special measures uh, uh, that extend for a year from March 15 involved an extension of duration from 38 weeks of work sharing to 76 weeks of work sharing. The EI recovery plan used to be a fairly complicated thing. It's been vastly simplified to a single line of text in the application. Uh, new one-year businesses are eligible. You used to have to have more uh, um, experience in business, but a one-year business is not now eligible. Also, work sharing allows flexibility to bring back staff as needed. You don't need to bring back everyone at the same time. Plus, training while on work sharing uh, is allowed under a relatively new policy, probably about three, or three years old, passed by the Commission. So whether you, you want to do training for COVID protection or other necessary training, that is certainly allowed while on work sharing. And that's something that, that my office is working uh, to try to develop more modalities for that it could help work sharing be used in the in the in the recovery ahead. 
I'll say a little bit about the Qs, the Canada Emergency Wage Subsidy. Uh, that particular program uh, was actually not out the door first. And, and it's my understanding that, that the government actually uh, would prefer more people to be supported under the wage subsidy program. And in fact, it was budgeted as, at a much larger amount than, than was the actual take up. Uh, the trouble was CERB was out the door first, people were laid off or furloughed onto CERB, and it was really uh, difficult to unravel that, uh, that plan and, and bring people back onto payroll and, and have the CERB repaid by your employees uh, so that you could put them onto uh, wage subsidies supported uh, by Qs. So um, the Qs has undergone a consultation recently. Uh, they're, they're looking at a whole range of things, I think. Uh, and I took the opportunity uh, when that consultation was on to identify something that was uh, troubling with the Qs, and that was that it sideswipes EI work sharing uh, in terms of um, the level of support for, for wage subsidy allowed. And I don't know if I can get into the details uh, further down the road, but the, the, the main problem is that the Q's calculation requires EI work sharing benefits paid to employees to be summed up and deducted from the Q's entitlement. Uh, that's not an easy task because employers don't have that information and have to gather it from each employee. So it, it risks being wrong and problematic, uh, but it also effectively, um, especially for the firms that need work sharing the most, it effectively negates the kind of wage subsidy support that they really need and, and should be receiving at this time. So I've made a recommendation in that regard to fix that sideswiping issue. And as well, um, our office supported um, the Q's recommendations that the other groups in our, all the groups in our business liaison uh, uh, group were recommending, including uh, things such as dropping the revenue eligibility threshold, uh, which is seen as particularly important as businesses open and revenues start to increase, and also adjusting the subsidy from the current all or nothing approach and uh, making the queues access uh, a little more broad to include startups and firms with joint venture structures and a variety of other things that, um, you know, are, are legitimate uh, business arrangements, but uh, somehow don't qualify under queues. Uh, the other thing we've uh, argued for is uh, informing employers in advance to give them some predictability, particularly for the hardest hit sectors, tourism, hotels, and cultural events and so forth, that they'll be able to take advantage of the queues longer. Uh, and some business groups have suggested October 15 or December 31st as, uh, as uh, extension dates for that. And, and uh, uh, a variety of other things, including something that will be near and dear to your hearts, the uh, adjusting the program to make sure that seasonal workers, internships and part-time jobs are eligible. So uh, the other thing that's problematic with the queues is that it's time consuming and complex and it gives rise to concerns about uh, errors and mistakes and sub subsequent audit jeopardy. And so uh, I, I have uh, 
taken the advice of the Canadian Payroll Association on some of these administrative things that could be uh, improved uh, to make uh, the queues more uh, acceptable. So the notion here is to try to get um, uh, more people using the payroll support, fewer people uh, using the, the money, um, money program with no strings attached, and of course, where needed, uh, segueing over to employment insurance and also using EI work sharing as necessary to help help uh, get back to normal. And so those are the some of the things I've been thinking about lately. Um, I have some details about these programs. I understand that your membership is pretty far up the learning curve in terms of uh, uh, the particular uh, eligibilities and so forth. I know that... Uh, Sally Harvey asked some very pointed and uh, useful questions around eligibility for your sector in, uh, in, a, in a session I held with some CRA officials. And so I think you've probably got some of those details, but we can get into them later if, if, if necessary. Anyway, that, that uh, is what I would like to say in opening and look forward to hearing all of your views on all of these things as it's, uh, it's my job to try to uh, uh, make sure that your message is heard internally. Thanks. Yeah. yeah. Thank you, Judith. Thank you. Um, Judith. And try, you know, trying to navigate um, all of this and uh, you know, knowing kind of the details as you pull back the curtain help us understand the uh, complexities. Um, you know, as Peter said in the chat, um, it quadruples our appreciation for the uh, the work that uh, you're doing. So. Thank you. Um, I will open it up to uh, the panel. Alan, Dave, Jeff, do you have any questions for Judy? Um, I, I'd like to ask one. Go ahead, Jeff. If it's okay. Uh, great info, Judith. Wow, that's that was amazing. Um, my question is about the student summer jobs program. And uh, that seems to be a one that I thought was going to be great. And it just doesn't didn't seem to take off. Um, do you have any uh, familiarity with that? Not very much. Um, I did actually refresh uh, for this evening's uh, webinar um, a, a set of links that I have. Joe, did you circulate those earlier, or do you want? They to, uh, they have not been circulated, but uh, we will make sure that those documents that you did fire over um, get posted on our resource hub. And uh, we'll definitely uh, send out, uh, along with the recording of this webinar, we'll send out uh, links to those documents that uh, you provided. Okay, because the uh, if you're talking about the the Canada Emergency Student Benefit, is is that what no. you're, you're speaking of? No, I'm of, talking or? about the Canada no. Summer. I think it's called the Canada Summer Jobs uh, Program. Uh, Julie, maybe you 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 know more about it than than me. I think that's what it's called. But it's supposed yeah. to be a hundred percent funding if you're hiring university high school university age students. Uh, but it's it it, it 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 kind of fell flat for for our company anyway. Yeah, the the challenge with that one was um, the Canada Summer Jobs Program. The intake for that is is typically um, February and March of uh, a calendar year. And so COVID-19 hit, of course, I mean, it hit earlier, but of course, flipped our country upside down in mid-March. And so it was one of the first announcements the government made that they 
indicated for that for-profit companies could qualify to have 100% of the wages for these students covered, which was amazing. Uh, it was 50% before, which was obviously a huge help. Um, but they never really opened up the intake again for people to be able to apply for, to create the opportunities. Um, what I can say is it is a pretty fantastic program, even when it's running at its normal course. And you know there could still be a bump to 100% pay next year, given that there will be uh, likely still kind of a need to get more people into the workforce. This is not going to disappear overnight. So um, I think the best advice I can offer you on the Canada Summer Jobs Program is watch and have your people watching for the intake um, timeline in February and March and get your applications in. I know in a lot of the areas, it's also worth touching base to, with the local representative because um, there's certain areas like Toronto where the program's really oversubscribed and then there's other areas like, um, you know, the region of Waterloo and others where people aren't taking, uh, aren't, aren't uh, uh, doing the work to get the applications in to the same degree. Yeah, I can maybe Thanks, add to it, it, Judith, while you're on the call here. Thank you. Uh, thank you for taking the time today. I've participated with you numerous times at the national level CNLA. So uh, your expertise and your representation for this sector nationally uh, in Ottawa is we're immensely grateful. So again, thank you. Um, yeah, this, this, this Canadian Summer Jobs Program is, is kind of a double-edged sword in the sense, as you alluded to, Julie, the, the intake is typically February, March, which predated COVID. So not only most of our anticipation of workforce need um, kind of floating on previous years, history or historic uh, nature, but also these summer students as I have uh, two teenagers in my household that normally have summer jobs. Those summer jobs are unavailable this year. Um, but I know lots in this sector because particularly land, the landscape sector has from the garden center, the nursery growers, uh, and even in the landscape uh, maintenance and design build are just inundated with work. It's kind of a, and I'll ask some questions later as it translates into 12 and 24 months, but right now the majority of our membership because everybody's home is incredibly busy. Um, and we could utilize some of these summer students, but just getting access to them or getting them up with serve there, not having access to these summer job programs um, has had a significant impact on us. And I anticipate uh, will repeat itself in the in the coming months as we see this all transpire. Um, and also, the way the government, the federal government that you work closely with, how much money is available. So it's kind of a weird situation that though we we're anticipating economic turndown, why we're anticipating um, the impacts of of COVID. The government's done such an incredible job of propping up the economy. Um, that there isn't an eagerness to work, even though unemployment's at its highest ever. There isn't a tightening of people spending because there's this massive inflow of cash into the marketplace with very little strings attached. Um, but our anticipation of what's going to transpire in the future and how much is government looking um, at, it's great that we extended it eight weeks, but August is going to come. And most experts are saying this is going to continue into next fall, next summer. Does our government have a plan? And as we come to the end of our season, are we looking at or, or having a collaborative effort to kind of really anticipate where EI, CERB, and other things are going to come into, into play by year's end? Joe, that might be a great segue over just to provide a little bit of intel in terms of where our firm is and, and then keep going with the questions. Yeah, that's that's sure. Okay. Sounds great. So why don't we hand it over to uh, Julie and uh, she can provide some insight there. 
Sure. I really appreciate the opportunity to participate again. My name is Julie Garner. I know I was introduced at the beginning and I belong to a firm. I'm a partner and a principal in Utterance Co Strategy Group, which is a government relations, public opinion research and communications firm. Uh, we're a national firm uh, where we have offices across the country. I'm part of our Toronto office, uh, but work well, uh, even pre-COVID out of uh, my home most of the time in, in the Kitchener-Waterloo area. Um, I've been working alongside with Landscape Ontario originally uh, starting and seized with the challenges that you're facing in the snow and ice industry around the insurance uh, questions and problems. And then when COVID hit, really uh, switched gears to kind of getting you back to work and getting your industry back to work and uh, opened up, uh, as well as to kind of navigating some of the government programs. And so I've, this is the second Landscape Ontario webinar that I've participated in. The first one was very much that educational uh, dump of, you know, what is serve, what is SKUs, what are all these really crazy acronyms that are coming out of the, the uh, federal government that are, are just supposed to help us and where are the holes um, that uh, that need to get plugged. And so it's been a really interesting period of time since, since March in terms of just taking in the information, being able to communicate it out, but also being able to be really interactive with government. And I'm fortunate, you know, Judith has, has access uh, in her role that is really unprecedented to mine, but in, in, in this period of time, there's been much more interaction and dialogue back and forth with government about the shaping of these programs and the ability to kind of go back to the drawing board if we haven't gotten something right. So it's been good, not everything's fixed, not everything's perfect, but uh, you know, it's, it's been in real time where we've seen you know, problems that we've been uh, communicating in from industry uh, to kind of solutions or at least responses that they're on it, they're working at it, they're looking at it. And I think one of the most recent examples of that is the SEBA program, the, uh, the $40,000 uh, loans. Now it's not out the door, but you know, when that program was initially announced, it, it had the payroll um, threshold that you had to meet in order to qualify for the program. There were many uh, businesses and business owners that, that called on us and called on other groups that I'm part of and said, you know, we pay ourselves in dividends so we don't have a payroll that hits the threshold and we want to qualify for the program. And that question was brought up almost daily and calls with the federal government and, and lo and behold, they did find uh, a fix or at least propose a fix to allow those with dividend income and smaller businesses to qualify. Now that program has not been uh, actually launched yet. It was supposed to go live last week and it hit technical difficulties. Uh, Judith and I were speaking about this in a preparation call. Uh, you know, we do know that the banks are balking a bit at some of this and part of the, the challenge, uh, other technical difficulties, it's not totally clear what that is, but at this point in time, we do still have a, uh, you know, a resolve from government to roll this out to smaller businesses. Um, as far as kind of our our kind of company goes and my role with landscape ontario and and just role with clients in general it's really to try and navigate government and at this point in time i think it was you alan that said it's never been more important to really understand how these programs are going to impact us and so um really it's it's been a lot of a translation and also kind of knowing who to talk to to get the right answers and in many respects uh, i mean i think judith's been serving that that function for you as well in terms of getting the answers and getting your questions to the table and in front of the right people and so it's a it's been a real privilege especially during this time when these these questions mean so much in terms of the livelihood of jobs 
Um, where I was going to segue in is that that our firm certainly we we are very connected into into government in terms of our colleagues uh, across the country. We've been sharing information uh, regularly amongst colleagues to be able to serve our clients better. And there's a number of updates that have been coming. And I said to Joe in our, our pre-meeting that um, this is a great kind of inflection point where things are changing. We're going to be in September before we know it, and these programs are going to have to do what Judith was talking about is start to get people off of the lifeboat and back to work uh, so it doesn't become that houseboat that she referred to and there are a number of kind of planned and things that are sort of being thought about and changed now this is not gospel things can change and we've seen them change very rapidly but i can give you some insight in terms of what i'm hearing on some of the program programs that'll build on on what judith is saying serb would be one of them and certainly i think judith has covered it really well that you know we they're looking right now at the 1.3 million people who have left the program trying to figure out where they've gone so that they can figure out if there's something that they can replicate there to get more people off of the program. Um, and they are now kind of obviously they had proposed some legislation which would have some penalties in it uh, for those that had been offered employment and refused it. That uh, was not supported by any of the opposition parties and without a majority status, they did not go forward as that would have been a confidence motion. So that is dead in the water and, and, and service been now extended until the end of August. What they're looking at, uh, I think Judith touched upon this, is really how do we shift people in. It looks like they're looking at a model that will shift people into the EI system. So maybe modifying some of the EI uh, criteria in terms of qualification to get them onto that program, which then enables, uh, you know, it has a time limit to it but also enables um, you know, things like uh, work sharing and uh, uh, as well um, SUP programs. And um, also just that kind of, if you are um, offered a job, some of those kind of termination points, which will solve some of the issues that are flagging some employers at this particular point in time that are trying to get people back to work. As far as the Q's program goes, uh, they just wrapped a consultation. We touched a little bit upon that. Uh, you know, Judith's group was, was actively part of it. Um, we have heard that they are very much seized with this issue around kind of a, a very um, a very significant kind of cliff that, that uh, in terms of the revenue decline that, that businesses have to meet the 30% in order to qualify for the program, at least for um, the kind of the two pay periods. What they would are looking at is some way to have a much more gradual decline for that program that didn't doesn't disincentivize success or growth that allows people to perhaps recover some of those 30% of month over month over month that they uh, have been experiencing and also uh, know and have the certainty that they're going to have some support there while they do it. So the sloped off ramp is something we'll be watching very uh, quickly and certainly from our, uh, many of our clients, that's what they're looking to see. They don't want to be penalized for having a decline in revenue by 28% instead of 30% when that's going to have material impacts on potentially some staffing decisions that they make going forward. And that's the adverse outcome that the government wants to see. Um, the last program I'll touch upon before kind of turning it back to the Q&A, which is really going to be something that, uh, that Judith and I are going to engage in and the rest of the panel members, but um, is the commercial, uh, the commercial rent subsidy program. Um, it was rolled out in Ontario as a joint sponsorship of the federal government and the province. It has not uh, yet been a success. I don't expect that, uh, I don't personally expect that it will be. It's got some criteria in there that are highly problematic for landlords. 
uh, and then tenants cannot apply on their own. The revenue decline as well is 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 seventy percent, and so that really knocks out companies like many of yours that have continued to operate, albeit many at a loss uh, during this period of time. Um, so not a successful program. They're still studying it. They, the, the provincial government in, in Ontario has just banned evictions and they do impact, they do uh, expect that will have an incentive for landlords to apply for the program. Um, we have not seen any data yet on it. They're saying it's too early, but we do expect that there may be some changes coming to that program as we expect it to be undersubscribed. Um, that's the last program I'll uh, touch base on right now, but happy to answer any questions. Certainly have a broad spectrum of kind of knowledge on, on all of them, including kind of some of the issues and discussions and debate going on around migrant workers, uh, which has obviously been a, a huge subject in the media right now in, in the Windsor area, as well as some massive outbreaks in the Norfolk County area. So thank, thank you. Thank you, Julie. Uh, we'd love to uh, turn it back over to the panel. Uh, I'm sure you guys have... Uh, some questions that you'd like to throw over to her. So, uh, you know, Dave might uh, start with you. Sure. So, one of the questions that uh, that kind of comes to me and, and and what I'm experiencing is is we are in a labor crunch still. Um, you know, my company is we're 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 hiring, but no one's applying. Um, the the two guys that I have hired in the last two weeks. Um, one of them wasn't eligible for one of the programs or didn't look very far. Um, so he, he was working and the other, the other one came right from a job and, and, and um, didn't have an issue jumping. But um, the, the, um, the government support is uh, in some ways uh, um, giving people a crutch that uh, they may not necessarily need, but they don't mind it. So they're, they're not working. Um, how do we get people back to work? How does the government plan to do this? Well, I mean, right now, it doesn't look like there'll be measures coming um, that I've seen. Judith may have other comments on it that will be able to help businesses that are struggling to find people right this minute. Um, the program changes are expected in the fall that will start to kind of make it and put some penalties in place in terms of not accepting employment when employment is available as well as exiting people off the program uh, they want to do it again in a sloped manner so it's not a, a cliff that all of a sudden one day you know two million people are are getting are being supported and having their families supported by the program and the next day they're they're uh, destitute so um they it will be an, a, a gradual um unfortunately it's going to be a challenging labor market and we're experiencing it ourselves uh, yeah. husband's businesses and landscaping we also have a food truck and you know we can't find people to work either so i hear you but i'm not seeing anything in terms of tools right now to get people back into the sector and, and part of the problem is is like two thousand dollars um goes a long ways for a student who normally would have taken a job for the summer but this summer doesn't need to because they can make you know, six grand over the summer without um, without doing anything, and and that's a problem because that's that's part of our workforce. Now, obviously, we're paying them more than that, uh, but they're getting tax taken off, whereas uh, from the government they get a check that doesn't have the tax taken off. So um, they're getting a larger lump sum in their pocket, um, and it's uh, um, I don't know, it's it's it, it's it's hurting. Like I could hire ten guys tomorrow, and I would if they were there. 
no doubt. So yep, Judith sure can. here, can you hear me? Yeah. Uh, one of the the things that, and I was going to talk about the uh, the student emergency benefit, and and when the prime minister announced that, he also announced in the same breath that um, students, uh, are, you know, would, would want to be going on job bank and 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 looking for opportunities. So I just want to remind everyone that jobbank.ca is the spot where people are supposed to be looking for work. So I hope you're posting your your jobs there or or through um, a job feed that has a deal with job bank because that's um, that's part of it on the uh, CERB front. Uh, I've, I've said it's a money program, no strings attached and no integrity. I I should say there's actually probably a little more integrity associated with the uh, slightly less than half of it that's delivered through the EI system. So uh, our antiquated system was actually is actually serving pretty well. It it was modified to deliver CERB to people who are probably EI eligible. Um, so it was able to be done simply without a lot of manual intervention and so forth. But the uh, there is a biweekly reporting like under EI and people are are um, uh, 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 saying that they didn't um, work and you know and, and have been searching. So there's a bit of an attestation going on there, um, and so uh, there are some tools, of course, in the EI system to to uh, make sure that people don't quit their job to to collect benefits and and actually refuse to come back. So there's some debate about how much how much um, that can be levered to to make sure that people are are uh, accepting the opportunities that that are coming their way versus languishing on a on a benefit um, so the uh, the CRA part of CERB has of course none of that uh, but I'm uh, given to understand that uh, like the uh, the interim order that will be passed to extend uh, extend the CERB for uh, an extra few weeks, the extra eight weeks, uh, you you might want to watch that on the uh, on the Canada Gazette and and look for that uh, as well. It, it it sounds to me like they're associated on 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 the on the CRA piece of the benefit. So it's not. Uh, I, I think the government doesn't want to have, uh, uh, you know, the, the uh, no strings attached benefit. I think they'd like to have at least some strings, but they want it also to be there. And my recommendation, of course, was uh, for uh, the CERB to continue for people who need it for um, uh, sickness, quarantine, uh, immune compromised people. Uh, you know, it, it's got to continue to serve for that. You probably heard an announcement a few weeks ago saying that uh, federal government was uh, going to press for an additional 10 days of paid vacation, or pay, pardon me, paid sick days. Um, and, uh, you know, that's, uh, that, that, that came as a big surprise to me because uh, quarantine and sickness is actually covered. It was the first thing that was done. It was covered under EI and it's covered under CERB. 
And, and so uh, anyone getting sick uh, uh, on account of the uh, pandemic is actually covered and CERB covers self-employed people as well. So uh, all of you in, in that category, uh, we don't want to see anyone having to go to work uh, sick or, yeah. or potentially contagious. So that it, it's covered for that. So there's a few things that CERB could continue to cover for down the road, but ideally we would want people to uh, segue over to EI where they have entitlements and and uh, and and of course actively be looking for work and not having uh, refused a job or quit a job. So that's uh, the thing I'm pushing for, and I hope uh, I hope uh, that by uh, uh, your continuing to press in that direction and to post your opportunities on Job Bank and to raise these issues. Uh, uh, where you're having trouble uh, getting people, that would be helpful. Joe, if I could, uh, maybe just ask you the question that follows along that thought line. Um, I've heard it from employees more at the beginning of the year when they were on CERB during a temporary layoff, but you mentioned a few times in your comments there, Judith, that if an employee gets sick or goes into the 14-day quarantine, yes, CERB, CERB covers them because of the no strings attached. And I wouldn't even necessarily put a limb and say that all people working right now some aren't double dipping because there's no string attached piece mostly in the sense that once you apply for serve it automatically kicks you out a, a four-week check um that you reapply for monthly what should we i mean anticipating as employers also helping our employees that might qualify if they go into a two-week quarantine get a check for the month what should they expect with some of the 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 news talk media around how much should be should be setting aside, how the repayment goes, because I, I sense there's going to be a whole bunch of auditing coming. Unfortunately for us in our off season, um, when the employee has very little pay or could be potentially on EI, um, just your thoughts or guidance to us to uh, educate our employees on, on the way to navigate that. Okay, so. Um, again, for you know, public purposes, the CERB was talked of as a, as one program, but it's actually, as I mentioned, split in the into two. In fact, on the website, there was a triage uh, for people to kind of head into the the direction of the EI portal. So, and they do operate differently. The the Service Canada portal that is based on the EI modalities operates on a biweekly basis with um, regular reporting that reminders that come and people have to, they don't have to, as in CRA, you have to go and, and um, present uh, your, your application for your next four weeks of benefits in EI. It's kind of more automatically run just like EI would be with the biweekly reporting. And that actually fits the, the two-week quarantine way better. So I've heard some talk about trying to have it all set up on, on biweekly basis, which would help employees in, in, in those circumstances, help employers in those circumstances. Um, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's clear that if an employee is back to work, um, if it was on a biweekly basis, it would be a little easier. There wouldn't be so much to have to be repaid. 
and it's more predictable uh, when you're coming back and and you know not necessarily collect for that that two week period that sort of thing so i think that is the plan to sort of lessen uh the number of people having to make repayments and work it on a bi-weekly basis which also serves the the sickness quarantine imperative better as well um as a follow-up to that judith Knowing that we're seasonal, and, we, and I think the sector has done a very good job of extending out our seasons, but this is a super unknown. Um, and we're all anticipating a, a second wave. Hopefully it hits it, it hits our sector anyway at a time where it, it actually works out. The spring wasn't too bad. We're getting winter and winter in, in our spring startups. So it could have been much worse being at a time like now. But do you anticipate as even serve kind of just it happened overnight. Um, not a lot of thought went through. Some of our workers coming out in the spring automatically got moved from EI applications uh, or, or some were running out, got automatically bumped over into serve. Do we anticipate now that we're working on this that there'll be a cleaner transition from serve back to into the EI system? And will there be, do you anticipate any implications as, as we're looking as employers forward um, to this winter and planning in our workforces to make sure that we are preparing properly um, for what you see ahead, obviously, is having a front seat uh, at the discussions going on right now in Ottawa. Uh, I, I take your point about the, the suddenness of what happened in March. And in fact, what they did was they picked the date March 15. If your EI claim had been established prior to March 15, you were on EI. And people still um, and but if it was after March 15, uh, you were immediately moved over to serve with your EI entitlement uh, kind of held in abeyance in case you needed it down the road. Uh, so the uh, what what could happen in the fall with a, a potential second round of this horrid thing? Uh, I think there would be a better preparation. I know right now um, the, the department, ESDC, is working on, on um, well, first of all, they've got something in the order of 6 million records of employment forms that have been filled by employers and sent in since the middle of March. Uh, that's an incredible feat for employers to have done that. I, I really do commend you. Uh, uh, the uh, it's a horrible form. It's been it's the worst form that that, that bothers business. I've been in the business world. I've actually had a, a project to try to change that record of employment system into something called e-payroll that would be so much better, would mesh with your own payroll systems and not have you trying to shoehorn your payroll into the into the boxes on the on the record of employment form. But anyway, that's for, for another day. But um, so employers have filed six million ROEs and there's lots of work going on internally to try to match the the CERB collectors under the EI system to the ROEs that are on file and make sure that if those people remain unemployed, they would still be able to they would be able to without great difficulty move over to EI um, and with the, the least possible manual uh, interference in the claim, because that, that's the big problem. Um, of course, our system isn't built to have, um, and, it, and, and, and the, the thing that slows uh, claims down is the manual interference. 
So if they can, uh, uh, if they can clean up all the records and, and make sure that people can get on to EI properly uh, without having to have uh, a manual treatment, uh, that can allow our system to handle many more people. So I think uh, there's a ton of work going in right now to, to get ready for a potential deluge, but my, I'm hopeful that there will be more people that get brought back. Not, I know your industry's back, but there's lots that aren't. So people that get brought back onto payroll through the queues and, uh, you know, maybe using EI work sharing are, are ramping back up to normal. So, so um, the, the fall, I, I think in the fall, having been through this the once, uh, it, would, it would go more smoothly. And we would certainly be able to communicate more information to you to, to help you get ready. But what, what firms did about filling those ROEs at the time, uh, starting in mid-March was absolutely wonderful. The big one, if you could, uh, in your, your future meetings is keep an eye on the sub-program. A, a lot of our members do utilize that. Uh, we're a little uncertain what's happening with the ones that were rolling off sub because a lot of our uh, employees that were on it completed their sub program the end of March, um, even though the mid-March all of a sudden they got moved over to serve. So under serve, they wouldn't qualify for sub, even though they're still receiving sub payments. Um, moving into this fall, I think, again, it's the, it's the interaction of the different programs that you have. And I know you keep an active eye on it, Judith. Um, but that's an important one for our members and one that uh, obviously needs integration. We've struggled with it in the past, how EI would change things that wouldn't uh, change with the sub supplemental income plan. Uh, SERBs further complicated that. So again, I know intents are good, but we just want to make sure widely used program doesn't cause conflict with, it's most importantly for the employees too, because they navigate through this, uh, there's already significant uncertainty um, as they go through it. And most like employers don't like going through the process. We want to make sure it works before, uh, before they get there. Well, you make a, a that's a wonderful point and a, a great question about the sub top ups. Um, as you know, that's under a registered plan with, you know, the sub part of our department that registers those, uh, those plans and, and it goes with EI. It actually, you're not supposed to be topping up, or if you are, it cannot um, exceed more than a thousand dollars in a four-week period. Um, yeah, you mentioned that in, in March 15th they got cut, or anybody applying after, but our seat workers that were on it over the winter got cut over automatically too. I think it, the whole EI program got put on pause, and people that were on claim even got moved over. Um, so it, again, all that happened. They weren't supposed to have been. I was told, and I can check into this again, or if you've got examples, but if the claim was fully established under EI before March 15, um, it was an EI claim and sub was allowed. It was after that that was the problem. Uh, okay. Can you still hear me? My yeah. screen has blacked out here for yeah. some reason. We can still hear you. Okay. Hear you. <laughs> anyway, the, um, so the, but sub plans on top of CERB are, are forbidden. Yep. I have not been able to secure an answer as to why that is. In fact, the uh, prime minister explicitly encouraged uh, firms using queues to top up the 20, other 25% if they could. Uh, so 
so top-ups were explicitly encouraged under the wage subsidy program, which is actually a little bit is more generous than the CERB. Mm -hmm. uh, but for some reason, registered top-up plans that normally would have happened under EI are not uh, are, are not allowed because it's CERB. And this point has been made strongly by many organizations, both on the employer and employee side, and. Uh, it was made again today at the very highest level in our department, and uh, it is a policy decision by the government not to allow those top-ups. Right. Sure. Thank you, Judith. Um, it looks like um, uh, Jeff is uh, just back with us. I wanted to uh, get over to no, no, it's all good. I wanted to get it back over to you. I know you might have some questions, um, so I'll give you the opportunity. I just wanted to take a little different angle um, and talk about severance during this time. Uh, you know, I'm sure that every company's got some employees that um, they, that uh, that or some companies may be in the position where they have the opposite issue, where you know you need to permanently terminate uh, some of some staff. And uh, you know, the I, how's that playing now with the severance rules and for longer term employees? What is the what, do, what tools do employers have to, uh, to say, save some cost <laughs> in in, uh, in severances? Is there any opportunities there? Julie, you Julie. I might just uh, take this one and start off, and then certainly I'm sure Judith will have an, uh, an opportunity to chat. Uh, so in terms of employment um, standards, really the, 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 uh, the pieces of legislation, the orders that have been passed protect employees more. So uh, I had a call about this today where somebody was indicating that they knew a team member was abusing the system and uh, uh, needed to kind of potentially let them go. We were discussing it at length. One of the challenges right now with COVID is how you treat your employees is, is going to reflect on you reputationally. And so making changes to your, your staff and your permanent staff during this time should be taken very uh, cautiously and with eyes wide open that it could bite you uh, come back to bite you uh, and say if, if people say that you were they were fired unjustly during this particular point in time. Every firm has to do it. In fact, ours had to you know do some changes as well through this time and, and things happen, but you just have to keep your eyes open. There isn't really an ability to sort of save costs. There hasn't been any changes with respect to eligibility for termination or severance pay for kind of regular uh, term employees that I'm aware of in, in these circumstances. and. Um, but, you know, there are rules in terms of who does qualify for severance and your payroll does have to be over at, at, at the $2.4 million threshold. Yeah, I think when we go along those lines of what Jeff's asking is um, some companies are in the opposite or we could get there in the fall time as, as the economic reality starts to kick in where we have to downsize. I'm hearing in other sectors as well, your management team or some of your long-term staff has been with you for a while, but you, you have 10 people on payroll and you really only need five obviously because you don't have the sales you, you don't have the economic stimulus within your company that you've enjoyed for the last 10 15 years it's kind of a double-edged sword too because of this employment standard now to because of the situation you're in navigating massive severances um while at the same time trying to take care of your employees and not bankrupt your company um so again any guidance there it's it's not the norm but we i don't think we We've seen the, the significant impact of, of the disease. We haven't seen the significant impact of the economic uh, fallout of this. 
again, Judith may have some other, um, you know, technical points in terms of how the system works, but I would, I would point you probably towards the loan program and say if there are those kind of operational pressures that that may be a source of revenue that can help you pay those extra operational costs, alleviate mm -hmm. the burden, it is payback, but there is that $10,000 forgiveness if you can uh, pay it at the end, which could offset some of those costs. Awesome. Judith, any so, thoughts? Uh, yeah, can you hear me? Um, yeah. The uh, uh, Canadian Payroll Association had done some work on uh, on basically the employment standard, standards, labor standards across the country uh, to, to look at when a temporary layoff becomes permanent and in which case, um, you know, it, it starts to, uh, it, it attracts the uh, parting monies. Um, and, and so there's been some effort to try to, um, uh, you know, it's, it's not usual times. And, and if, if people were laid off temporarily, but there's still hope of, of, of bringing them back, then it, it, it would be a hard thing for the employer to come up with the parting monies, the severance and so forth. Um, as Julie said, I don't think any of the actual rules have changed on that in terms of employment or labor standards. And of course, there's the, uh, you know, the standards at law as well. Uh, so, um, it's I don't think there are very many opportunities to to save money, but there is the the potential if you're if you're still hoping to keep people um, you and you don't want it to to look like um, uh, and you don't want it to be a permanent layoff, even if the rules in your province uh, suggest that the certain number of weeks have gone by, it is permanent. So that's uh, that's the contribution I can make on that front. Uh, the other thing is, if you have decided to reduce pay to people, uh, there's a certain um, level at which it becomes a, a constructive dismissal, and that could attract uh, uh, problems for you as well. So uh, that, that uh, again, it's uh, it's something that you need to approach carefully with your eyes wide open and a, a view to your the future and your company's reputation, as Julie mentioned. Yeah. Now, is there any discussion with the government? I, I know you both said this, the rules haven't changed, obviously, in, in government uh, and the legal. Well, nobody's even had the ability with courts being closed to, to test anything legally. Um, but to deal with this new reality, COVID, a pandemic of this size has never happened uh, to the world economy or particularly to Canada um, to, to help mitigate this. Because you're right, there's a whole bunch of things that just didn't play into something being this long. Um, so employees that are on uh, temporary layoffs at some point those temporary layoffs become constructive dismissal um, downsizing or having to as you see some big companies like airlines will go to the, their workforce and everybody's wages get driven by 25 percent but there's a point to within workforce you take that power down trim wages it becomes constructive dismissal again when a company doesn't have the ability to pay the, the historical severances that the courts um, have allotted over the last 25 years. Um, is there discussion? Is, is, are those discussions ongoing or even on the table um, with employment standards, uh, with the business reality we live in? And government's been pretty active on the the, the employee standpoint uh, to making them a whole. Uh, is there any discussion going on on the employer side? The only comment I can make so, is that. Uh, 
Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Judith. I was just going to say that, you know, uh, from my perch at the commission, this is really the other side of our department. And then that would be labor standards uh, pertaining to companies under federal jurisdiction, you know, airlines and, you know, interprovincial concerns and so forth. So it, the, the action for you at Landscape Ontario would be with the Ontario Ministry of Labour. Uh, and so that's where the discussion should take place. And, and I'm not directly involved in that. Um, I do know, though, that um, uh, the Payroll Association did write about uh, the, this notion of uh, what becomes permanent uh, to... Uh, Ontario actually... Uh, passed some rules that they thought were pretty good and they commended them to other uh, jurisdictions. So, you know, there's there's a little bit of the fine example following sort of thing that can happen. But but generally speaking, what you're talking about is is a is a, 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 a representations to the Ontario uh, Ministry of Labor. Thanks. So Jill, you had a comment? Yeah, the comment that I was going to make is um, the the kind of the, the time the time clock uh, that you're referring to was extended in Ontario. They passed at the beginning of June an order because it was looking like uh, I think it was mid June there was going to be about this time uh, a massive amount of people that had uh, that their their clock had run out, and so they did extend that through the for the, under an or, emergency order. For non-unionized workplaces, unionized workplaces often negotiate a lot longer kind of periods of layoff uh, and different terms, and so they were not impacted by this change. Awesome, thank Great. you both. Well, just let me can I can I, I can just say one thing about that sure. whole piece. As an as employers, be very careful. Um, you are going to see more um, uh, discrimination uh, cases, more human rights tribunals. Uh, due to this, you know, uh, situation, and there's lots of lawyers out there right now looking for lots of work. So, just uh, just keep your eyes open on on how you're treating employees as you as you exit them out of the business, if if necessary. Uh, good comment, Jeff. Absolutely great advice, um, everybody. Thank you. Um, bring us to uh, the top of the hour, um, Judith and Julie, on behalf of Landscape Ontario, the membership. Uh, it's COVID nineteen task force. Thank you. Um, and thank you for the important information you shared with us today. Uh, we know it's a very busy time as government works to provide solutions for Canadians, especially in the face of the pandemic. Um, Landscape Ontario does have a bank of information, though, specifically dedicated to providing timely and relevant information related to navigating COVID-19. So if you do visit our website, uh, head over to the resource hub and you'll find a massive, massive bank of information. Um, and in fact, in the next issue of the LO magazine, all members are going to receive two de uh, decals, which will act as reminders to don't let your guard down. And we've all worked very hard to mitigate the risk and exposure for ourselves, our family, our friends, staff, and clients. So it's really important to remain diligent and remember that safety is still our number one priority. Thank you so much for joining us, and we'll see you again soon. Thank, Thank you, everybody. You. Thank you, ladies. Thanks, everyone. Thank you, everyone. Appreciate the support. Yeah. Take care. Good luck.